0: Hello sword people! Welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher and writer. Join me for interviews with historical martial arts instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training and bringing the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. This is episode 167 of the show and it's August the 29th, 2023 as I record this. In last week's show, I said I'd be interviewing Jack Gassman this week, but that's because I forgot that I needed to talk to Jessica Finley again. What can I say? It's been a busy few weeks. So Jack will be in the next episode, and this week you get to enjoy the company of the awesome Jessica Finley. So we'll be talking about wrestling, of course, because that's kind of what she's known for, but also we talk a lot about Lichtenau's Hauptstucker. Um, the work we did in Kansas in July. Um, creating a couple of online courses for you and also we get into quite a lot of stuff about books that we are planning to write and um, we even come up with a new book idea that I think we'll actually act on during the show so if you want to be present at the moment that a book was born then listen on. As you probably know we are getting towards the end of the launch offer period for the new medieval wrestling course that I created with Jessica the 50% off offer ends next Wednesday. And what idiot wrote 50% off offer and then expected somebody to read it aloud uh, very early on a Tuesday morning. That was me. Sorry. Um, so, yes, the half off offer. Oh, God, I did it again. Never mind. Um, ends next Wednesday. So if you'd like to own the course, go to guywindsor.net forward slash. Abrazare 23. That's A B R A Z A R E two three. There is a link in the show notes, of course. What I'm working on at the moment, well, as I mentioned in the last show, I am cracking on with the written presentation of my academic interpretation of Fiore's wrestling, which the course is based on. If you think about it, you have to have an idea of the sort of choreograph the choreography represented in the book or represented in the individual plays before you can actually start working on skills. So a necessary uh, step in the process towards being able to practice these arts is to interpret them, and the interpretation process is its own thing, and so I've put that in the book. So I will be sending the draft out to everyone who is on the wrestling course uh, fairly soon. I'm hoping to have that ready next week, um, because there's nothing like an informed reader feedback to catch errors and omissions before publication. I don't think I'll be sending it out to a wider test readership because there are enough people on the course that there is, and they're clearly sufficiently interested in wrestling, that they are the right sort of people to be reading it. Um, Speaking of which, I am looking for test readers for another book, which is How to Write Training Manuals for Historical Martial Arts. It is a short, snappy, and to-the-point guide. And if you're interested in reading an early draft and are willing to commit to actually answering a short questionnaire on the book, it's about five or six questions. It shouldn't take you more than a minute or two, um, but it's necessary to have an organized and structured way of getting the feedback for the book. I actually go into this in the book itself. Um, one, of the, one of the tricks you have to learn as a writer is how to get useful feedback from your readers because, let's face it, you send the book to somebody and they go, oh, that was really nice guy, thanks. That's not actually helpful. Or if they get you know get stuck about halfway through, feel guilty about it when it's your fault as the writer for writing a book that people get stuck in. And so they don't tell you that they didn't finish it because they feel embarrassed about it. When actually you need to know that, that is gold, that is super useful feedback. So, like one of the first questions is, Did you finish it? And if not, where did you get stuck? Because, you know, when you're writing something, you know what you meant. And Uh, your brain will look at the text you've just created and tell you that it means exactly what you think it means and it's exactly the way you think it is, when actually it may have all sorts of stuff in it that you don't want. So if you are willing to commit to actually answering the questionnaire, then please do let me know and I will happily send you a draft of that book. On swordpeople.com this week, there are quite a few interesting discussions going on. In the equipment space, there's a discussion on chest protection for women with especially large breasts and the difficulties that presents. And in the instructor space, there's a discussion on strategies for attracting the kinds of people you want into your school. So if you're not already signed up, go to swordpeople.com for the only place online to discuss historical martial arts without trolls, bots, algorithms, or ads. Now, without further ado... On with the show. I'm here today with Jessica Finley, who is an author and historical martial arts instructor who runs Ritterkunst Fex School in Lawrence, Kansas. She's the author of the book Medieval Wrestling, and she co-created my new Medieval Wrestling course, which we will talk about in the interview. But her main claim to fame in life and forever, no doubt, is the fact that she was the first person I interviewed in this show. Yes, in episode one. And she also interviewed me for episode 50. That makes Jessica the very first person to be on the show for a third time. So, Jess, welcome to the show. Hello.
1: (laughs) Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) It's nice to see you. Uh, So, whereabouts in the world are you?
1: I am in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, If you were to look at a map of the United States, I'm right in the center, if you don't know where that is. Uh, I know exactly
0: where it is because I was there just last month.
1: That's right. That's right. We had a wonderful time.
0: We did. Uh, and we will talk all about it in a minute. Now, the whole whereabouts of the world, diet you? It's just a standard kind of warm-up question I use just to sort of get my interviewees who generally don't know me terribly well before we start talking. Um, and it also kind of it sort of helps listeners kind of keep track of, well, okay, this person's from America, that person's from New Zealand, that person's from, you know, wherever else, right? Yeah. Um, but Lawrence, Kansas is... Actually, quite a nice place.
1: It's a wonderful place. Like it is much overrated, and I like it that way because it can continue to stay affordable. And you lovely. mean underrated?
0: <laughs> it's underrated.
1: Yeah. What did I say? Overrated. Oh well, I mean it could be that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a lovely town. Uh, has quite a bit. Of uh, cool American history if you're into if you're into American history.
0: What's the name of the horse? Uh, the Comanche.
1: Horse. We went Comanche. to Comanche.
0: We yeah. did. When I was there we went to see Comanche, which was like the last horse surviving from Custer's disastrous battle of the Little Bighorn. Um, and it was eventually stuffed and put in yeah. a museum.
1: Yeah. And he's sort of a I famous local was... character. He was the only American soldier found standing, is the way they bill him. Of course, you know, because as a as a military horse, he was. Yeah, he was an American
0: soldier. <laughs> Clearly, right. not 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 paid like an American soldier, or or no, no. no.
1: But Comanche but... is cool. Like a, a like little horse girl, Jess adored adored Comanche so much. Uh, <laughs> Because we went to that museum all the time when I was a kid. Like, that was a common field yeah. trip, so.
0: Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a great museum. Um, and, of course, Lawrence also is the location of your, your, you have your own Sal, but you, being German, you call it a Turnhal for some reason.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have my little uh, training space, and um, since you've been here, I've resumed group lessons, and that's been Excellent. going quite well. So we have a number of classes going throughout the week uh, here in town and I'm continuing to do private lessons in the space as well. So it's been quite lovely.
0: Excellent. And I know that you are, you're sort of known for your wrestling stuff. So we should just, just for the sake of the listener who can't be bothered to go back and re-listen to episode one, what is your wrestling background?
1: Uh, I originally uh, started training in judo in Mm -hmm. 2001 and I did judo for about, seven, eight years, something like that. Um, And, and, but I mean, of course, at that same time, I was uh, starting to study HEMA seriously um, and uh, began looking into um, the wrestling texts that come down through the German tradition, you know, way, way, way back then. And I, I, Uh, study under christian tobler so i had sent him a note and said hey what are your interpretations for these texts and he said i don't i don't really have an interpretation i'm not a great wrestler you should do that and so (laughs) that's how i started doing it yeah okay
0: so so as someone with a wrestling background and with um a sort of specialization in the german material yeah what did when when i was in Lawrence for a week and we shot the material for my Abrazzare course of so Fiore's medieval wrestling stuff. What did you think of the Fiore stuff? Be honest.
1: Oh no, I love the Fiore stuff. I I I think I think he is uh, quite deliberately succinct with what mm-hmm. he is presenting. He is giving you the bare minimum that you need, but also at the same time, the things you're most likely to need, right? right. Um, considering, uh, at least the way I see it, considering his context of wanting uh, his entire system to also work in armor and wanting his entire system to also uh, be, I don't know if you want to say dual or battlefield or earnest or you know, mm-hmm. pick your pick, Altransa, okay
0: yeah that's the that's, Italian word yeah a it's like um um in French it will be out trance, I think uh basically it means like to the limit, yeah, so yeah. like the real thing, like no one's get no one well one of us isn't going home today, right, no sort quarter of, sort of wrestling, yeah, yeah, um
1: so yeah i mean if if you narrow i mean if you were to look at the German stuff and go, you know. Well, how, how many wrestling techniques are, are in uh, the, the dueling armor section? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, something like that. Not a lot. Uh, right. A quite similar number to what Fiori shows.
0: Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you were, you're... you're, you're um, okay, the reason that I thought it would be worthwhile flying all the way to Kansas to shoot the course was i mean from a professional perspective for personal reasons obviously worth going to Kansas just to hang out but for professionally speaking um worth going to Kansas to do this with you specifically is that i am not much of a wrestler myself hmm. and so it it was necessary i thought to have someone who actually was a wrestler right in the videos <laughs> And also basically there to call bullshit on any interpretation of my, I mean, I don't think Fiori would put a bullshit wrestling technique in there, but I could certainly look at a perfectly good wrestling technique and create bullshit out of it. <laughs> Not, you know, as, as people have done in the past. I mean, you know, we, we've yeah. all, we've all done it, right. You, you see some, something which turns out to be a perfectly excellent technique in the treatise, but and you're, when you're interpreting it, you come up with some absolute shit, which you have to have some kind of um, feedback mechanism that will show you when what you are doing is shit. And I, I figured that if I tried pulling off some bullshit wrestling move on me, you would just throw me on my head, and that would be good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, well,
1: I don't know that my my uh, my my <laughs> method of criticism is quite that. Blunt.
0: <laughs> no, I mean it metaphorically, throw me on my head. Basically, actually, ah, I, yes. I, I don't think it works that way. Why don't we try it like this? Is how you would probably have done it.
1: That's right. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and I think I think we did run across a couple things that we played around with. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that we changed your interpret like change your interpretation. No, but
0: um, um, well, I mean, the one thing that I am. Like, okay, there's, there's the canonical interpretation, which is the strict, literal, choreographical execution of the play exactly as shown and written with no, Mm -hmm. with no wiggle, right? And then there's the play of the play, which is how you actually do it when your opponent is trying to mess with you. Right? right. now there was one bit where I think the, my choreographical interpretation of the play is going to probably change and it's in the mm-hmm. second play of the Abrazzare where I have always done it so that when you do the armbar and step through with the right foot to break the elbow you were suggesting doing it with a de volta bringing the left foot around so rather than stepping through with the right foot the right foot stays where it is and the left foot turns and you end up in what looks like the same sort of position but the way you were doing it it makes me think actually that's probably more what he had in mind yeah because i've always thought of it as you 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 put the leg through and you fall backwards on a, in a sacrifice fall to break the elbow so your whole weight's going down on it yeah and but actually the more i think about it the more i think that isn't really the medieval way yeah we don't see yeah. a lot of sacrifice throws um, you No, you don't want to up uncommon. on the ground so you can get into that same position without without any intention to go to the ground by doing the Tudor Volta instead of the, the pass through. And I think that's probably... I mean, I'm literally in the process of writing the book of The Interpretation at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm probably going to wiggle that in there. Nice. So, yeah. Nice.
1: Well, and I mean, I know, I know in... Judo at least uh, we would practice everything both ways, right? Like you can turn around by turning around forwards or by turning yeah. around backwards, and yeah. in either way you get to the sa- as you say to the same place or what appears to be the same place. Um, but the energy flows totally differently, and yeah. and so for judo you practice both because you need both. Um, I. The way I see the way uh, some of the German stuff is described and and illustrated, that appears to also be so. Sometimes mm-hmm. you step into the place, and sometimes you yield away and end up in the same place. So um, you know, there's there's something to be said for for both ways, and sure. so yeah, yeah. And so that's what I mean. It isn't. It isn't that it's eh, wrong.
0: No, no. It's, <laughs> it's just, just. It's just. But like. Which one do we think Fiore had chiefly in mind when he right. commissioned the artwork? And I'm thinking it was probably the volta and less the Pass. Yeah. which yeah. Was, I mean, that's that my was,
1: feeling for sure.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got that impression when we were doing it. Um, okay, so why do you think we see wrestling in medieval sources abundantly, but there's practically no boxing?
1: Right. Yeah, there's very there's very little like fist to face yeah. stuff. Um I think that's a really complex question. Um on one hand, wrestling is something you can do after church on Sunday and everyone can get up and go to work the next day. So that's right. great. So yeah. as as a uh, informal practice that you can due to various levels of um, various levels of like competitiveness and and intention
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know wrestling while vigorous and definitely has the potential for injury right yeah isn't the same as like bare knuckle boxing which more or less guarantees, guarantees some injury. amount of injury yeah yeah um and so I, I think that's part of it is that it's it's more accessible as a as a, as a physical practice for the development of, you know, all of the all of the solar arts yeah. uh, qualities, right? Like, it's good cardio, it's good strength, it's good, it's fun, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, there may have been rules and laws and social mores around, like, a fist-to-face. Like, it could be that it was legally an escalation of violence. I think that's true in some places. Mm-hmm. Um, so that certainly could be a part of it. Um, and wrestling is going to apply, to my mind, more easily to the broader martial art, right? It's going to apply in armor. It's going to apply with a sword. It's going to apply with a poleaxe, you know. Yeah. Whereas maybe uh, maybe a, a fist to the teeth isn't um, as useful yeah. in those scenarios.
0: Still good. Yeah. But. I mean, Fury has striking in the places of pain. Right? sure so and, and he shows like hand strikes to the uh, under the nose for example or under the yep. ear right um, which is not boxing
1: no. because
0: it's open hand stuff because you don't want to punch the head with a closed fist unless unless you're a specialist in that yeah. it's a to, to do that without breaking your own bones is really tricky
1: yeah for sure and,
0: and, unless you're wearing these hoofing great big boxing gloves which didn't appear until much much later.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and not to say uh, that the Germans don't also also have stuff around, uh, you know, pain compliance. There, there certainly is all the things Fiori shows, as well as ridiculous stuff or things that I think was ridiculous, such as grabbing him by the head and running him into the wall. I mean, that, n- that shows up. That, that works. That works, that. right? Like, do I think of that as a as a wrestling technique? Not so much. <laughs> but <laughs> no. you know, it gets it gets kind of dumped in there, and so like um, because the German side of that house, uh, uh, my friend Alina Boyden, who you've interviewed, talks about the difference between being a well and being a swamp. So the German stuff is kind of a swamp, right? right. It's not not super deep, but incredibly broad, right? <laughs> Whereas Fiore seems to be a well, right? It's not very broad, but it's very specific, and and intentional. So, so anyway, so the German stuff will have everything from clearly playful wrestling or or, or friendly or or sportive um, stuff, and then there'll be like just a dump of a section of. I mean, we do have some punches. For instance, in the von Baumann, like like punch him in the teeth if he tries to punch you in the teeth. Here's how you set that out, and then wrestle him and throw him. You know. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that stuff clearly, clearly is separate from uh, the wrestling techniques that are in the unarmored longsword section, right? So it's it's. It's just kind of a different beast the way it's being presented, not that the techniques or the, the use case is different, I don't think.
0: Okay. So why do you think the German sources are divided up into this person's dagger stuff and that person's long sword stuff and this other person's wrestling stuff, whereas Fiore has a kind of united vision of a single martial art that is expressed through wrestling and dagger and sword and armor and all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that is an interesting thing. Um, and and it's, hard, it's hard to know why, why that is so. I think, I think it's largely just because of the literary tradition that we get the implication that it is so. Because, really? of course, we're just working from the books we have. Right? right? Yep. So it's, um, for instance, Lignitzer, as a medieval master has a, a treatise on sword and buckler, a treatise on dagger, a treatise on wrestling, a treatise on uh, armored combat with sword, right? Yep. And so that's all Lignitzer. Um, but the way it comes down to us is as these separate little modules or these separate little treatises that then mm-hmm. come down through history and are broken up and, in different ways. And and so it makes it very, very much feel... Not united, you know. Uh, whereas if it had been presented as these are, this is Lignitzer's martial art, mm-hmm. without these chapter headings, <laughs> without these sections that got copied differently, would we see it differently? And I think so, you know.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, it's just, it's, it's pretty clear that, I mean, both Fiore and Vadi present what they consider the important bits of the whole art now Valley is much more focused on Longsword than Fury is but um, we don't see that same separation of different aspects of the art into different works
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I, I it, do, it doesn't make sense to me why anyone would do it other than that way when if, if you have a coherent vision of okay I mean, if I'm going to do this longsword stuff and you need to have these particular dagger techniques or these techniques that are best taught with a dagger to be able to defend against longsword pommel strikes, it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense to me to have here are the longsword stuff and then here's a whole separate book on the dagger stuff and they're not connected. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know if you were trying to serve this to me on a platter, but I'm going to pick it up. I Go think ahead. that the Habstuk of Lichtenauer, is <laughs> what you're asking about here, right? Because, because, so how, how to, how to best, how to best think about this? Like you can, you can present information in a variety of ways and we can pick it up in a variety of ways. So if you were to think about the difference between reading a book about, a a martial arts system, right? Mm -hmm. I and you probably would write it like Fiore wrote it, right? Here's a cohesive system, here's the beginning and the end, here are all the parts, in an order that we thought was logical that built upon itself in a linear fashion. Yeah. Whereas if we were to build a website about a martial art and we had no rules about how that website could be built, we might build it such that you grab modules and you go places where you want to go based oh. around these quote-unquote oh. hyperlinks.
0: Jessica, you've just given me a brilliant idea. Tell me more. Well, okay.
1: I seem to do that to you,
0: Guy. You do, Jessica. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, okay. The hardest thing about writing a book about historical martial arts in my experience is yeah. I perceive the art as like a three-dimensional structure four dimensions really because it exists in time as well as all the various uh-huh. dimensions Continue so in in my head my yeah. understanding of how Fiori's art should be done is not linear correct right it is is more like um a like a a molecular model of a diamond Lots yes. and lots and lots and lots of pieces all connected in to each other. But unlike a diamond, it's much less regular. It's, it's more, there are clumps which are connected in these particular ways and this bit's connected to that bit over there. But, and it's, and I, I sort of, I see it in my head as yes. more like a cloud of interconnected nodes. Yes. But when writing a book, you have to find a node that you can then take out and put on the page and then put another node it's connected to and put that on the page. And you have to take this three-dimensional structure and stretch it out in a way that makes the three-dimensional structure possible to reconstruct from the linear structure. In which case, it reminds me enormously of protein synthesis. Yes. Where you have DNA, which codes for um, these specific amino acids, right? So basically, DNA is an instruction, uh, any, any particular gene is an instruction for... Put these amino acids in this order. That's all it does. Yes. Right? And so when the the bits of the cell that actually do the protein synthesis, they go along to the DNA and they they RNA and you know endoplasmic reticulum and all that stuff. But the what happens is you get this string of amino acids which yeah. then fold themselves together into the three dimensional structure of a protein. Right? And that is what writing books about historical martial arts is like for me. Yes. Right. But you just said website. Uh-huh. And I had a go at this with my syllabus wiki, where yeah. it is organized in such a way that you can find the bits that you want. And you can find most of my drills and what have you for free online at this the syllabus wiki. So sourcepool.com forward slash wiki, I think. Anyway, you can find it on on the website. Yeah. But... It's, it's fine, but uh-huh. in terms of its structure, it's basically a whole lot of chapter headings, and within each chapter, there's a whole lot of stuff. So it's more like a string with strings coming off it. Yes. Right. Yeah?
1: Closer, but still not quite there. It's
0: closer, but still not quite there. So...
1: So you're seeing, yes, believe me, this... <laughs> I mean, when you asked me in that first episode what is the greatest thing you never acted on greatest idea you had never acted on it is this I have been trying to find a way to make this vision that you're you're glimmering on right now yeah. happen for the German stuff.
0: That's online. not what you said but
1: it's beyond me
0: what you said, what you said yeah, yeah. I know I, I looked it up in preparation for this interview.
1: All right. I, well, the, yeah. you remember better than
0: me. <laughs> right. No, I, I looked it up from the transcript, so I'm I know for certain this is what you said, right? Because because the lovely Katie who does the transcription, she doesn't make stuff up. Okay. The best idea you hadn't acted on yet back then was yeah, yeah, historical martial arts gear based on American football gear from around 1915. In I mean, Falcons. that's a great fucking idea. It is a great fucking idea, <laughs> but but I think. Actually, although it has certain logistical and business challenges, it's a straightforward idea. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. Because people have been making clothes and protective equipment for various things in various ways for literally thousands of years. Right. And this is just an iteration of that. Yeah, yeah. Right? But what you're really talking about and what I have in my head is an entirely new way of structuring information that is closer to... It's, it's the same... It's not the same thing, but it's the same sort of conceptual jump as the difference between video calls and hologrammatic calls.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And see, mm. that's the thing is, is this... This is an entirely new way to conceive of this and also just the medieval way to conceive of it. This is... Uh, your your mind map, your mind castle, mm-hmm. right? Of how we store information biologically in our head. Like like most of us right now, culturally, in a, it, at least in the West, have been fed the idea that you store things like a computer and that it's ones and zeros and it's on and off and it's digital and it's linear and it's if-then statements that force you down a path. But that isn't the way our brains actually work and that's not the way we actually remember things and once you know something well enough it does become this universe hmm. with movement and space and time all happening and so when when people try to compare or, or I have seen people trying to compare Fiore and German and people that understand Fiori or took the time to go through it find him more accessible because he's more what we have culturally been taught is the way information is. The German stuff is this node bullshit. It's everywhere. It's this map of ideas that you're to coalesce into these 12 Hauptstücke on your own. And, and you're to do that work so that then this these nodes live and you can just grab them and go, you know? Um, And so uh, uh, this is, this is a thing. I, I'm so glad we got into this. This isn't what we were here to talk about, but it, it really is um, something I'm so passionate about because I wish I could help people understand it. I think it would be useful beyond martial arts. If you could understand how to process information in this way and you know, when I've talked to, for instance, people, uh, for instance, my, my uh, ex-husband, he, he is a computer security expert, like world level expert on this stuff. And when I started talking to him about it very recently, he said, do you know that MIT is currently working on exactly this? Like MIT is currently trying to understand this as a way to process information. And I was like, I had no idea, because it's a thousand years old. We're <laughs> back to it, you know. So, so it's useful. It's useful beyond just understanding how the German side of the house is supposed to work.
0: Yes, but yes, um, a book is inherently linear, right? I mean, you have it books. has to be. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, it, I mean, you, you do have books which have like choose your own adventure thing where, you know, if you choose, go down the corridor with the creepy spiders, go to paragraph 127. And if you choose to run away from the creepy spiders, go to paragraph 192. Right.
1: But that's still linear.
0: But it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's all presented in a linear fashion, but your path through the material is not linear. It's kind of zigzaggy and moving back and sure. forth. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but the,
1: but the choose your the, own adventure doesn't allow you to to look at it and go um, to to simultaneously understand that choosing page one eighty four inherently is going to lead you somewhere, whereas choosing page seventy two is going to lead you somewhere else, and. And and to have both of those live in your in your in your mind simultaneously, so that you understand the consequences before the choice is made, right? And that's yeah, the beauty not, of this nodular nodular understanding of the thing.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, you're not supposed to read the whole book and then figure right. out your best path through it. You're supposed to like make the decisions as you go. That's true. I know. Um, but okay. Uh, I don't think that some dude writing martial arts stuff in 1400 in Germany is thinking about a nodular understanding of consciousness and information processing. That doesn't strike me as, that strikes me as an extremely modern way of looking at things.
1: Well, it's a very medieval way of processing information. Um, oh, that's, well, okay. That's what Process,
0: th- processing and presentation are not the same thing. Okay, fair. It's a medieval way of presenting information, perhaps.
1: Well, so when you look at, you know, you and I discussed uh, the the tree that I created and the fact that it's based on on a, a medieval uh, martial arts tree, which is based on tree uh, structures that are out all over. All over medieval study, all over medieval yeah. manuscripts, in all realms, um, <clears throat> and Mary Carruthers, who's written extensively on this, she describes them as machines. It's not a figure. It's a thing. It's a, it it it's <laughs> it's a drawing, yes. Yeah. It's a figure, yes. But that you are intended to put in your mind and manipulate.
0: Yeah. And
1: through the manipulation of that figure come to new and unique conclusions so that's yeah that's a different use of it than it's it's not a bar graph it's not i took a bunch of info and dumped it into a condensed idea it's here is a condensed idea that you are going to meditate on work on mull over physically manipulate in your mind and explode into new data
0: right Okay. Which is cool. (laughs) It's very cool. Okay. Now I think I think I think maybe the average listener might need a little bit of background. So we ought to we we ought to say well firstly, what are the Hauptstucker?
1: So the Hauptstucker are the the primary techniques or the chief pieces of the art. Um Lieschenauer says that there there are twelve um, a couple of masters say that there are 17 cause they include the strikes and with that 12, um, so 12 and five, 17, however you want to think about it. Um, okay. and they are, uh, they are each distinct principles that can apply to any sort of <clears throat> conflict, that one might come into. Of course, it's presented to be talking about um, single combat with medieval weaponry, um, but it was also expected to be applied to armies on a greater scale. It was expected to be applied uh, when you're hunting prey, right? So these are are just kind Ah. of like... I don't know, like, what do we have? We have, like, books written by businessmen about, like, what business taught me about life and love, right? Yeah, it's yeah, kind of the yeah. same thing, you know?
0: Okay. Um, so, firstly, we should probably tell the listeners that while I was over there in Kansas and I saw this beautiful tree painted on your um, Ternhau wall, yes. it looked to me like the outline for an online course, and so... We went and shot videos for all twelve Halbstücker, and that course is coming out soon, maybe soon. in November. I'm hoping was... November. It may be early next year.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: because yeah? I because I'm doing the editing, so it'll 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 be ready when it's damn well ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah,
1: that was that was wild. That was wild, that... y'all. We were sitting on the couch having a break from shooting. The Armazori course, right? And yeah. we're or Armazori, sorry. And we're we're sitting there, like just trying to get our brains together. And guys, like, what is this? Tell me about it. And then at dinner, a couple hours later, says, "I have a brilliant idea." And so we went from three days of known hard work to six, <laughs> real fast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 well, I, I, it was a brilliant idea. It was a brilliant idea. Yeah. And and so, okay. But because we did that course together, which meant, you know, I was the, like, setting up the camera and I was the the stooge getting whacked with swords. Um, so, the first of the Hauptstücker on your wall, bottom left, is the Via Lega, the four guards. That's right. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, in what way would you say these four guards relate to something other than standing there with a sword?
1: Oh, yeah. So the four guards are uh, are, uh, another word you might use is, like, encampment, right? So if you were thinking about it in terms of... of, Uh, military positioning of armies, you know, are you up on top of the hill and the other person is below you? Well, then you're in Fontag. Yeah. You have the high ground. There are known advantages from being there, but if you want to attack, you must come down the hill. That's just the way it is. Right. And so these, this is kind of the way you can start to generalize, generalize the ideas Um, encapsulated in it, you know, and the names of the guards are punny, right? Um, and so, you know, Fontag also means, can mean clear as day in English, right? The same idea as obvious, forthright, you know, all of those words that come with that, you know, um, kingly even, right? Um. Whereas alber, right, which is the fool, or, or foolish, depending on who you listen to, um, is, is, so you're down at the bottom, you're down in a ravine. To attack, you've got to come up. Um, your best course of action from down there is not going to be a straightforward attack. Running up the hill, we all know that's a bad plan, so you're going to have to take some sort of trickery, you're going to have to come around the outside, you're going you're gonna to play the whole fight differently. If you're down there. Right. And so this is this is the way you can start to broaden this out and think about it. Um, And, uh, you know, I've certainly spoken to um, people that have trained with me or students who are having, I don't know, uh, like like I can think of one person who was having. Uh, trouble with their their college administration and it was kind of becoming this antagonistic situation and so I kind of outlined it to this person in terms of a fencing engagement so that they could get some clarity around how they were reacting from from maybe an emotional space where they needed to they think were about thoroughly, it they were
0: thoroughly in the knock, nah, in other words
1: yeah 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 okay right? and so and then they were like Oh, now that I can think about this as though it was this other thing, Mm -hmm. it allows me to then understand my options in a different way and start to make conscious choices rather than instinctive choices.
0: Okay. Do you see that in fury at all?
1: Oh, I haven't studied him well enough to say, what do you think?
0: Well, okay. I view any kind of confrontational situation in fencing terms, obviously. Have done for decades. Right. Because um, how else would you do it? And, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And, and, you do know, you even you know, when,
1: study fencing, bro?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and, and you know, when, when you know, friends are going through an unpleasant divorce or whatever, like very often, like, hang on, hang on, okay they're stuck they're stuck in the situation they can't see they can't see it tactically they can only see it emotively understandably because it's a very emotional situation but to get what they want out of the situation they need a perspective that allows them to see it more as um more as sort of an interplay of forces and and interests and you know well, this person wants this, and this person wants that, and these things are in play. These things are not available. Yeah, it's it's just a different way of seeing it. Actually, it just reminds me of one of the best things I ever did in terms of being able to run a business, right?
1: Because mm.
0: the first business I started was in Edinburgh, and it didn't do very well. And then I moved to Finland, and at that time the Finns had the mark, so the Finnish mark. They they switched to euros a couple of years later, but. I didn't have any kind of cultural associations of the Finn Mark as having value. Yes. Right? Yeah. So unlike unlike pounds, which I'd grown up with as being valuable and intrinsically yeah. somehow special, right? The marks were monopoly money. Right? right. They yes, it mattered that I that I finished the game with more of them than I started, otherwise I would lose. Right but it right. was just but i didn't have any emotional attachment to the money itself at all which meant that yes. i could make rational decisions about things like spending money on a necessary business thing like hiring an accountant and i didn't think it i didn't think of it in terms of but oh my god it's this much money i just thought okay i need this much of these tokens so where am I going to get those tokens from? Well, okay, if I do this weekend course then that weekend, go, that fine, then the tokens come in and it's fine, no problem. And it was just it just helped me see everything more dispassionately. Yes. Um, and <laughs> I think if you don't have a framework within which to view interpersonal conflict of whatever kind dispassionately, then you could only ever view it passionately. That's right. And it's often very useful not to.
1: Yeah, it sounds cold and calculating and grim when you start to like dig into it quite like that. But 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 at the same time, that that kind of is it, you know, because we are we're all working within, we're all working within these constraints, and so noticing them and understanding them and uh uh making it an intellectual un- undertaking to to work within them i think is um is more helpful than not it doesn't mean you aren't desperately heart-rended over what's happening but it also means you can say that is true and also we have to get up and have breakfast tomorrow so <laughs> you know yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of what needs to be taken care of, you know?
0: Yeah, and and being dispassionate about something, viewing something dispassionately, doesn't mean you don't have feelings about it. It just means that you are able to view it from a different perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um Huh. I wasn't expecting to get all philosophical at this conversation, just I thought we were gonna talk about dropping people on their heads. <laughs> have <laughs> Have you known me long, guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite a while now. Um, okay, so all right. So coming back to the Hauptstücke. yes, there are twelve of them. There are, but also Zornhau.
1: But also Zornhau, right? Uh, yeah, and the other, How the does other that work? of the five strikes. Yeah, it's a curious thing, and and um, so the thing about Zornhau in particular. Is that it is uh, it is nothing but a peasant strike. It is uh, just a cut that gets you into uh, sprechfenster, right? Which is just long point or Postalonga, longa, which is just a place from which you feel, right? So in one way, it's not special at all, uh, and. In another way, it is the center of everything and the most important thing that's ever been created. So uh, that's a fun again, just a fun thing to play with in your mind is how you okay. view that.
0: So, okay. Your the second of the Hauptstrucker is the Vasessin, which is yes. basically what we think what what most longswordy people would probably think of as four of the five mites hell. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Krumpau, Vericar, etc. So, why is Zornhau not one of the Versetsen? Because
1: and, right, because so the the Versetsen, the the Veer the Veer Versetsen, <clears throat> all come on strange lines, right? So okay. Krumpau comes across. Like a rainbow, or a windshield wiper, something like that. I think that. it was
0: a windshield wiper, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, it's fair how comes across like this middle how, but you're doing it with your false edge, so it's a that's weird. Yeah, it's a helicopter exactly. Uh, Shield is, you know All the strike up. <laughs> the strike about which many masters have nothing to say to quote a yes. text right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's this weird, twisted, short-edge Oberhau, which yeah. doesn't make sense uh, and is often quite difficult. And Scheidelhau is a, a, a vertical strike with the goal just to barely tip-cut their forehead, right? It's at this extreme distance. So okay. they're all very weird. Whereas... Uh, the Zornhau um, and the resulting bind from it in Longpoint, if if you read about that Longpoint, Spreshfenster, right, the speaking window, it says that all Oberhau and Unterhau should come to this place, right? Yep. So in a way, we give it a special and a raised position, but... It's just what every blow that isn't bizarre should be.
0: Okay. Can can I just point out that you've now gone on record as saying that four of the five Meisterhau are bizarre? And speaking as a Führist, I am very pleased to hear a Lichtenauer person say that because they are—they are
1: absolutely bizarre. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent. Good. Yes. Isn't um, it though? Yeah. Isn't it okay. though? But wouldn't it have made for an easier drawing and an easier machine mm. if, oh God, I just had a thought.
1: All oh, right. well, I wonder if you,
0: okay.
1: uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. What was okay. your
0: thought? Okay. Okay. Now you've probably already had this thought because how you drew your tree is what triggered the thought. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thought. The, the way the tree is drawn... You have mm-hmm. basically a vertical line, and then the these circles, so six on either side of this vertical line, which connect to that vertical line, and those those circles are effectively like the leaves on the branches that come out from the trunk. Yes. Right. But the tree still needs a trunk. Mhm. So the twelve Hauptstücker, as I'm thinking of it, are manifestations of variations on the Zornhaus. So, and how is the trunk?
1: You got there. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So, you would agree with that statement?
1: I would agree with that statement. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, Because, like I said, it's the thing that is special and important and is the core and also isn't special and important because literally everything should go through there. So, it's... Mm. It's a fun... It's just a th- way to play with it. And the other thing is, Guy, is very often in medieval manuscripts, they would create a tree, uh, as you saw, as I drew, mm-hmm. right? As Guy described with this this verticality and these series of... We will put um, a, picture, lit- in will oh, a picture in the show
0: notes. There will be a picture in the show notes. A photograph of your actual painting on the wall in the show notes, obviously, because, yes, not everyone can Because you have it. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So go have a look at it, y'all. But... So, so, very often in medieval manuscripts, they would they would not only do the tree version of the concepts that they're trying to work with and the machine they're trying to create, but also would create a circular one. So, all of those nodes now expand out to the outside of the circle. So, we would have mm-hmm. the 12 on the outside, the f- vir versetzen, the four... In another concentric circle, in the there, and then the very center point would be. Sornau. Sornau.
0: And that's that's basically a map of Mundi.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Ha. Huh. And this is the game. They, but those, those medieval people were all rather stupid, weren't they? They, they didn't were, they, wash, and they. <laughs> <laughs> they ate rotting meat all day. I have been assured. <laughs> And we know they never took baths because the priests complained about the bathhouses.
1: They rightfully so complained about the bathhouses.
0: <laughs> so obviously there were no baths because the priests complained about the bathhouses. So the bathhouses all disappeared
1: mm-hmm. one day. But yeah, so so this is it. So so, yeah, it is, uh, you know, as a as a teacher guy I or instructor or whatever you want to call me, coach, I don't care. Like there is this beautiful tension between how much of this do I just offer, and how much of this do I sit and wait for somebody to find?
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, same thing. It's, you can't you because you if you just put it in front of them they can't see it.
1: They can't see they can't see it anyways, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, this is why I don't have a book about the Hapschuka. You see. Yet. Yet, yes. There there's, there are so many complexities to it that every time I find a solution for it, I find unacceptable problems with it. With my own creation, which is why I have like four half-written drafts on my hard drive.
0: Okay. Now, this is interesting because the... The book is linear, and you are forced to take this three-dimensional structure and lay it out in a line. Yeah? Yeah. Um, But the online course structure is the same. Video is even more linear than books are because you can't skip back and forth as easily. Right?
1: It makes me very sad, and I wouldn't have gotten through it without your support.
0: Oh, okay. That is a real fact. (laughs) Okay, but, but when we were doing... When we were doing the online course, we had no trouble in shooting a video for each of the 12 Hauptstücker, and then some additional bits and pieces to kind of fill in obvious gaps. You know, someone with a bit of background might say, but what about this? And so we shot a video about this, right? Things which are (laughs) common knowledge, but not one of the Hauptstücker, like I think Vor, Nach, and Indes. Yeah, yeah. So... If you think about it, you've written the book. Because if we took the transcripts from all those videos and tidied them up a little bit, there's a book.
1: There is, but what
0: a... I'm not saying you should do do it that way. What a dull book. (laughs) Okay, all right. Here's a thought for you. The book that you would want Mm-hmm. Is basically a the sort of thing where if you already know all the stuff, it shows it to you in new and interesting ways that blows your mind. Yeah, that's the book you want. Yeah. Right. Okay. But you don't write books for yourself, generally. You yeah. write books for the people that need them. Yeah. And what would you have given for a straightforward explication of the 12 Hauptstucker plus Zorn, how and a couple of other things in 2002?
1: I mean, my left arm probably. So right. that's a fair point.
0: Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not satisfied with any of my books, obviously, because they don't, they don't address my needs at all. <laughs> right, uh-huh. <laughs> right. I mean, like, like, what, what, what use are they to me? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah? they, they, they're, they're just they're books written for people who don't know this stuff already. Sure. Yeah. Now, the process of writing the books is useful to me because it makes me think about the things in new and different ways and, put, and organize them in different ways, and I understand the art better for having written a book about it. Yeah. Right. Um, and of course, once they're out in the world and they start generating income because people buy them that's great
1: that's nice yeah
0: but the only time i ever refer to one of my own books is when i'm quoting it for some reason yeah right like because why would i yeah i didn't write the book for me right so yeah and
1: i think no that's a good idea for the benefit
0: of the people who are interested in looking at that and want to know your thoughts on it many people learn best through books so many people okay. also learn better through video other people learn, can only really learn stuff in person other people you know have sure. you know, lots of different people have lots of different needs for things and um, and ways of learning and preferred modes of learning in mm-hmm. um, but for the people who for whom a book would be really really useful it would be doing them a service to swallow your dissatisfaction and produce the book that would be good for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's an interesting thought because I wonder, I wonder if I am conflating not the book I need for me right now, but the book that I imagine 2004 me would need. right? Right? And I think, I think, you know, when I think about it, I get inspired by um, martial arts books I read around that time. For instance, I, like my my medieval wrestling book, I took huge inspiration from this little booklet called The Art of Judo. It's this tiny little book. You can pick it up for like 10 bucks on amazon maybe less it's ancient black and white um and it is it is minimalist is the best way to describe it Mm -hmm. and that book i got so much from because there was very little very little text a lot of photos um it was all bullet points. If any of you yep. have read my book, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's that's what you did. Yes, that's what I did. Because <laughs> that was the mode that I found useful. Um, but, you know, Guy, when I think about sword stuff, when I think about Lee Schnauer, as I conceive of it now, and what young me would have needed wanted... Um, I can't think of the title of the book. If I get it, I'll get it to you, and we'll put it in the show notes. But uh, it was this martial arts book of a of a woman who who went to study across China and Tibet on her motorcycle. Right?
0: Wow. And Okay. I don't know this book. It,
1: oh, God. Okay. I've got it in my library. I will find it and get the title because it's just not coming to my mind right now. Okay. Um, but I found that book incredibly moving um, and uh, it really taught me what it was to study a martial art and there was nothing about technique it was just her experience of study yeah? yeah and I keep getting hiccuped because I somehow want to blend those together because in my mind they come together
0: I have do you see this I do yeah, yeah. I totally do but, okay, okay, you go get your book. I'll nip to the bathroom. We'll be back here in like one minute, and then we okay. can resume. Because I'll do
1: talk. my best to find it. Let me see if it's right, right. here. And we're back. Uh, okay, so the book is titled Among Warriors, A Woman Martial Artist in Tibet, and it's by Pamela Logan.
0: I shall be purchasing that forthwith.
1: I just, yeah, when did it come out? Let me see. It came out in 1996, right? So wow, it's okay. been quite some time. Uh, but yeah, early martial artist Jess Finley, young person Jess Finley, uh, that book, I was just like, yes, I too want to circumnavigate the globe as a singular woman with the purpose of studying martial arts. That sounds incredible. I want to do that. You know, Um, but I mean, it was it was very much, as I recall, a book about the seriousness of of it. And, the, uh, you know, some of it was was just the hardships of travel and some of it was the hardships of the training, you know, Um, coming coming to places where she was expected to be up at 5 a.m. training as the sun rose, you know, and, and going all day. Of course. When else do exactly. else I
0: mean.
1: Right? Like, as one does. As, as one, one does.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, but she talked about the community of it as well, right? That mm. we all, you know, uh, okay. in one way, but, you know, suffer together for it. But, you know, that it's beautiful.
0: Okay. But that's one kind of book, which is, it is a, one kind of a memoir. Book. And it gives you an insight into the fundamental human motivations and experiences of being a serious martial artist. Right. Yeah. And I, I have a bunch of similar sort of favourite books. Sure. Right. I even wrote a blog post about it ages ago. I'll stick a link in the show notes. Um oh, it great. was called Um My Top Five Martial Arts as a Path book. Books. Nice. Something like that. Yeah. So and it's got basically books about treating martial arts as a as a path through life and not just this is how you hit people with swords. Right? Yeah. Okay. But that's like the why, and something of the so the emotional stance or the mental stance you take towards it. So a little bit of the how in that sense, but it's not about how you actually throw a punch or how you actually throw a sword around, right? Yeah. A training manual is a totally different beast. Of course. And it's, yeah. And its job is to is to uh, communicate physical skill to the to the reader. By telling them mm-hmm. exactly what to do and how to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah.
0: Um, and I think... I mean, is one there the no biggest, way to
1: merge the two?
0: Okay. I don't think you should merge the two.
1: Oh, okay. So tell right? me about that.
0: Because because they are, they are fundamentally different. And the thing is, if what I need next in my martial arts journey is to understand how and when to throw a pommel strike... That's what the next bit of the book should be. So, you do this with a palm strike. You step like this, and you do this, and you smack him in the face, and the fury says, four teeth will fly out of their head. Whatever, right? Right. Okay. Um, that has nothing to do with why I'm training in the first place. It has everything to do with what I'm supposed to do next. Okay? Now, think of Donald McBain's 1728, um, The Expert Swordman's Companion. He has a thorough... Short ish how to treatise on small sword, right? Yeah. This is how you murder people in a duel with a sword. But yes. Hold yes. it like this, stand like this, stab them like that, and you know, if it's dark, execute the round parade until you find his sword, and then run, having found his sword, rush down until you shall surely find him at the other end of it, sort of thing, yeah. right? Specific. Okay. Yeah. But he also has uh, his autobiography and it has an annex on the art of gunnery, all in the same book. But that yeah. is three separate books that happen to be bound in one book, really. Right? Mm-hmm. There's the how-to treatise. There's the this is my life treatise. And then there's the gunnery thing, which practically no one ever reads because it's just most of us don't have cannon, Right? Right. right. <laughs> so, um, I mean... It was I think pretty clear to McBain that you shouldn't mix them up. And generally speaking, in historical martial arts sources, we don't find much in the way of um sort of memoirish autobiographical stuff. No. I mean, there's there's like Fury says, you know, he has these students and he's trained this long and that. he basically gives a few paragraphs of look, I know my shit, this is why you should read this book. But he doesn't he doesn't interleave um memoir stuff with the technical stuff right, right. And, and I think that that's, that's the model that we should follow because mm. because the, the memoir stuff is, is great and interesting and has its own thing um, and honestly a really good memoir is probably more valuable to a human life than a really good how to Hit People with Swords book. Right. right. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be more <laughs> useful to you in terms of your overall life goals. Um, but it's... Okay, every book makes a promise to the reader.
1: Yeah, okay. Right?
0: And if my promise is The Medieval Longsword, a training manual, I have to make good on that promise. Yeah. Right? And if it is um, Guy's Sword Journey then I have to make good on that promise. Right. Right. Um, and so you, you can't really combine the promises.
1: No, I know. I mean, I think you're right, because otherwise I would have probably figured it out by now.
0: Yeah. So, so I think you should do both, <clears throat> but treat them as separate books. Now, occasionally you come across a memoir that has for example recipes in
1: it yeah
0: right because it's all about living in italy and italian food and cooking and stuff and it's mostly memoir yeah. about you know living in italy and how wonderful that is all those italians are lucky bastards um and the recipes are there so that the reader if they are if because cooking is a fairly common skill and the sort of person who buys that kind of book is likely to know how to cook already and so throwing in a few recipes you can easily skip over it if you don't want to do it. Um, but it kind of invites you more deeply into the world because then you can recreate this thing that they've just done. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's that's the only exception I can think of.
1: Right? And I almost want to write a training manual where, where it's that idea inversed. Where the invitation is into... The how the fuck does fear legger apply to my life okay feel free to skip it (laughs) but i can't find a way to make it uh palatable in my own mind
0: (laughs) okay that's okay okay but here's a thought for you right um these these books that have memoirs that have recipes in them Mm -hmm. they don't teach you how to cook they assume right. you already know how to cook. And if you can't already cook, you just skip the recipes. Yeah. Right? And and they don't have an equipment list at the front. And an ingredients list at the front. And, okay, make sure you've got all this stuff in your cupboard. And make sure you've got all this stuff in your fridge. And make sure you have this kind of knife and that kind of knife and these pans and an oven like this. And blah. They don't do any of that. Right. They, they tell you the story and then here's a recipe. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So... You can do both if you have a, this is the training manual and maybe in the introduction you say how important it's all been to you you're learning the da 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 yeah, yeah. and you have could be in the same volume but it's fundamentally a different book A and this is how the Via Lega applied to my life. So once they've learnt the stuff, because most people don't, most people who would buy a memoir are not trained historical martial artists no you're right so you can't just say and next time you're practicing as varakal, think about how how it protects you from above and how this relates to dealing with the passport office when they were being a dick yeah yeah right Right. the common frame of reference has to be there before that kind of thing could possibly work so that's
1: why it's an unlikely idea to work
0: no, 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 <coughs> it will work beautifully, <laughs> but you, you, you just have to separate it out. You have to have the training manual. Yeah, yeah. Right, and you can write it mixed, but you can't publish it mixed because it won't make sense to readers. They won't know what they're writing. That's fair. So by all means, write it mixed, but then just separate it out and put all the memoiry stuff in one volume and all the how-to-do stuff in, in the other volume. Mm. And that will also tell you whether it's complete. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, if you're thinking memoir, you might have great stories about three of the Via Lega and two of the four guards and, you know, six of the other Hauptstucker and the others not so much. And yeah, it yeah. won't matter if it's a memoir, but if it's a book about the Hauptstucker, you have to have something for everything. You do. Yeah? You do. So, so you put all of the technical stuff in one section or volume. And you put the memoir stuff in another section of volume, but you can write them into leaves. You just then separate them out later.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm reminded of. Um, have we talked about the 15th century Italian dance master, who? We talked about him in
0: Kansas, but but the listeners weren't weren't there. The so. listeners
1: haven't. <laughs> um, uh, I'll get a link for that as well because it's Primo. Uh, but, but he also writes in this fashion, like there's an introduction that's basically on why everyone should learn to dance. Yep. Then he has his technical instruction on the dances and what they are and how to do them. Uh, and then he wraps up with not really a memoir, more of a diary of cool places. I went neat parties. I was at and who else was there and what happened. (laughs) Perfect. And it's hilarious.
0: And so you have a historical model to copy.
1: It's true. There is one right there.
0: All right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It's not just me. <laughs> there are historical models. It's true. Uh,
1: it's true. But, I mean, it but might th- be the way to go. Who knows?
0: But I think, I think that's probably why you've got four drafts sitting on your hard drive. It's because you're trying to mix oil and water. And they keep separating.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly how it feels
0: like in my brain. Right. So let them separate and do them separately. Yeah. And then once you've got them complete and separate, you may choose to add an emulsifier and mix them together. Right. But that's a choice to be made later. Yeah, that's fair. And the historical martial arts world can write me handwritten letters on handmade paper to say thank you when those books come out because, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> wow that's a bar for me to reach <laughs> well no I see I, I okay I think that the historical martial arts world would benefit from both the memoir and the halfstucker book
1: yeah well there so, certainly hasn't yeah. been a historical martial arts memoir yet has there
0: see i I've been thinking about writing one for ages.
1: I mean, you'd spit it out in two months.
0: Oh, I wouldn't, actually.
1: You don't think I've, so? I've
0: tried, I've tried spitting it out a couple of times.
1: Yeah, and it okay. it didn't
0: go anywhere. It's hard.
1: Uh,
0: it is really hard. Um, yeah. And, but I and think... The thing that makes it most difficult for me, I think, is so much of what went down in the late '90s and early 2000s, was bad actors being assholes?
1: Oh, for sure.
0: And it's if I put all of that stuff down, mm. it's going to damage some relationships.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Uh, I think isn't
1: if, that it? It's an interesting conundrum. I mean, I've thought the same. Like, there are certainly ways to tell the story, but I think the story needs to be told, Guy. I've thought this for some time. You know, another book idea I've had that I haven't quite figured out in my own mind, but what if I were, let's throw this out, to go as a journalist and start interviewing all y'all, because I know all your names and I know you all well enough. I'm, as we have discussed before, uh, Generation 1.5. Yeah. So I can contact, for instance, uh, I paid Pete Couts last year for a private lesson.
0: Yeah. Interesting chap. Right?
1: Interesting mm-hmm. interesting person. A lot of people that are in HEMA right now don't know his name.
0: Yeah, that's a shame. Because it's a shame, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's occurred to me that there are a lot of people who, for a million and one reasons, not all bad, are no longer involved in historical martial arts, but are foundational to the way historical martial arts are done now.
0: Yeah and that's 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 a their name deserves to be known. Absolutely. Um like they're the invisible foundations. Yes. In many respects. And some of them some of them are still around. Oh absolutely. And, you know, Christian being one. I mean one yeah. of his example. Um Yeah, I see that's that's a whole other thing. That's a very, basically, find, finding the people who were interesting and useful and did great work that we all benefited from, but then have sort of, you know, they're no longer really in the public eye for whatever reason. Could be they stopped working for martial arts. Could be they died. I mean, Patrick Pugliese, great example. Yes. You can't um, interview yeah. him because he sadly died quite a long time no. ago now. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone should know who he is. Steve um, Hick,
1: still Steve around.
0: Hick. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of names. We could just start throwing out a million and one names. But um, now that book guy, maybe, maybe if I did the interviews and you helped me edit it and write it, we could find a yeah, way to make this yeah. happen.
0: Okay, Fuck but yeah. that's, that's, that's a different thing. That's, it is a different is, thing, but... That is but, a history of the foundation of historical martial arts. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, that isn't my memoir of how I ended up starting my school in Helsinki, which is a whole different thing. and It, it is. It, yeah.
1: But they touch each other
0: yeah, in a way that might
1: make one thing accessible if the other thing got going. That's true. That's why I brought it up.
0: I think that's a brilliant idea. Mm
1: -hmm. So it's it's a definite hell
0: yes from me, Jessica.
1: Okay, well, let me get on that ship then, because uh, people are going to die, because that's the way it happens. So
0: yeah, so you interview them before they die. Yes. 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 Very sensible. Um, Yeah. Huh. Now, uh, it's it's not good listening when I kind of wander off into sort of. Yeah, and then and then. Sorry, I know we've gone. We've gone like, completely <laughs> fucking off the I'm so
1: sorry, Katie. No, I'm so no. sorry anyone else that has to be involved in the editing. <laughs>
0: uh, no, no there they will not be much in the way of editing. It's just, it's just now. Now I, I'm thinking, because one of the the issue I was having with writing my own sort of memoir of how, yeah. what historical martial arts looked like in like 1992. Um, right. Yeah. Um, is that. If it revolves around me, as you know, the memoir always revolves around the memoir. It
1: has to, yeah.
0: Um, the it's it's very local, and I'm sure you know if it was well written, people would enjoy reading it. But it might be more useful if there was a much had a much broader scope. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that.
1: There's something um, there.
0: There is. And there is a lot there are a lot of like people who did extraordinary things to get things off the ground. And then have for whatever reason to stop I mean the one thing one that leaps into my head is William Wilson and Jarek Swanger translated Capo Ferro and put it out for free in like two thousand two. Yes. Right? Yeah. Which, not to put too fine a point on it, is why I'm a Farro person now. Cause if if that was supposed
1: if, to be uh, my first event, I think was William Wilson.
0: Right there, you go. Yeah. Um, but then I think I think Bill's heart troubles have have prevented him from being terribly active in the scene for quite a while now. And again, most Rapier people probably don't even know who he is. Yeah. But and what a shame. And what a shame because you know the work he was doing with Jarek 20 years ago, speeded us all up by years and years and years. We are years yep. ahead of where we would be if he hadn't have done that work.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Um, huh.
1: So I think between us, we could get a list of, uh, must be interviewed. Uh, some of them I can think of might not return my call, even though I'm pretty neutral. And but uh, I think it's, I'm,
0: I'm not terribly neutral. I, one of the, some of the things that the people I'm thinking of, they wouldn't return my call either. So we'd have to get somebody else on board whose whose call cool they might return. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but
1: I mean, I think between us, we could find a way to have a, a as comprehensive a, a list as anybody could come up with.
0: And uh, here's a thought. Here's a thought. One thing we could do. Is we could interview them, like, for a podcast.
1: Oh, now that's easier than a book.
0: Is well, She
1: uh, says, without a real podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, no, Having having produced a podcast and written a book, I can confirm that producing a podcast is a damn sight easier than writing a book because... You just talk to people and ask them questions and there's a bit of production stuff. But once you've learned how that's done, it's not actually that hard. It's a lot right. of work, but it's not terribly difficult work. Yeah. Um, whereas writing a book is almost all difficult, <laughs> as you know. Yeah. Um, so but maybe a
1: book could come from the interviews.
0: Well, exactly. Exactly. So, So what we would do, perhaps, is come up with a list of people and interview them. And see if they would be willing to be interviewed on the record as a pod for a podcast. And if they're not, that's fine. We interview them, and and for for the book. But those who want who are happy to be interviewed for the podcast could be interviewed for the podcast. Yeah. And in fact, if you if you look through the 160 odd episodes of the show, there are quite a few people who would be on that list who have already interviewed at least once for sure. Um. So we could always get them back.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think or, so. Or
0: just uh yeah hmm okay yeah. that's a really good idea All right. it's not it's not like I don't have an Abrazzare course launching right now as people are right now to this. and <laughs> and and the Hauptstucker course to edit and get ready hopefully before christmas um and and I'm completely
1: not refounding my school and uh, overwhelmed with uh, lots of responsibilities related to that. It's fine. Yeah. How about we take this on, guy?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I'm I'm going to Germany this weekend. I'm in America in October.
1: Wait, who are you seeing in Germany?
0: In Germany, I'm going to the Potsdam event. In fact, when this goes out on on Friday, I will be... I will be on my way to Potsdam that afternoon, and I'll be there the weekend that this goes out, so 2nd, 3rd of September. Um, so the nice. Swords of the Renaissance event, is called. Ah! Um, oh. love, a lovely event. Um, yeah, I was there last year. Um, Excellent. And coming back for another one. Um, and then next, and then in October, I'm in going to Baltimore for Lord Baltimore's Challenge, which is yes. a smaller event this year and in October rather than July. Um, and it's going to be fascinating because we're looking at how to train and oh. how to use tournaments to help your training. So rather than just, you know, you show up to a tournament and, and, you, have, and you have... and you how out. <laughs> right. But it's be like, okay, so you have a couple of bouts and then you work on the stuff that didn't work in those bouts and then you go in for another couple of bouts and then work on the things that you learned in those battles and then you see what general thing you should perhaps be fixing maybe maybe you see the the tempo to strike but your footwork isn't quite good enough to to actually you're not in position to lunge when you see the tempo maybe for instance yeah. um, and so you work on that um, or maybe and again this specific opponent you have this issue and against that other specific opponent you have that issue why would they be different how do we work on this one how do we work on that so that kind of thing so rather than it's just day of classes and a day of tournament it's yeah. day of classes followed by a tournament environment optimized for maximizing fencing development nice yes it's nice. going to be super fun yeah and then november i'm off to finland december i'm going to spain for uh, an <gasps> event in spain which is going to be marvelous um, yes it's been a long time since i was in spain um and then it's christmas so when are we going to write this fucking book jessica
1: It looks like the first quarter of next year, guy. (laughs) Okay. Because I am going to be in France next month for three weeks, uh, touring castles, climbing cliffs, uh, seeing some rugby, uh, and eating good food. Okay. More or less. Yeah. I don't even think there'll be any fencing unless I run across somebody.
0: So, so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a trip to France that does not involve historical martial arts directly. Wow.
1: It's, yeah, my first international trip to not involve historical martial arts. So
0: it'll be an, it'll be an actual holiday.
1: An actual holiday.
0: Oh, my God. I know. they amazing. Well,
1: I mean, I am demanding a large amount of castles, walled villages, and museums. So I don't know that it's entirely (laughs) devoid of historical martial arts, but I'm not being paid to teach anywhere. Right. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's all of my September, uh, October. I'm in Boston, uh, teaching a weekend on the hopstuka and how they work. So that's going to be super cool. Uh, then in November, I'm going to be up with the Arms and Armour guys doing... Oh, lovely. Yeah, I'm going to do a seminar for the Oakshot Institute and uh, and give a lecture on uh, historical padded uh, garments.
0: Right. And people that so are interested in those things great. can listen to the first interview I did with you where you talk about them at length. That's right. Yeah. That's right.
1: Uh, and then December is Christmas. Yeah, I don't have anything scheduled for then. So I think it's first quarter, Guy.
0: Okay. Yeah, first quarter is currently a little quiet. So, all right. So let's, let us, in the meantime, we come up with names and people to interview and a list of questions that are likely to elicit the right kind of reminiscences.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking this is going to be really cool. I think this is going to work really well, Guy. I'm excited.
0: (laughs) Good. Okay, now, we have addressed your um, best idea you have an acted on in the mm. um, the uh, historical martial arts gear based on American football gear from 1915. Yes. Um, and then we went off on a great long ramble about ways of presenting information, maybe using a website that allows you to kind of get access to that kind of 3D feeling of it. Yeah. You're right? Yeah. Um, which I don't think counts as a best idea to act on. So shall we say for the purposes of interview structure, that best idea not acted on is interviewing a bunch of old time historical martial arts people that modern martial arts people might not know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that is it. I think that is it. And I think unlike many of these ideas, this one will be acted upon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Maybe, maybe. It um, could
1: be. So if you are a listener of Guy's podcast and you were around in the early two thousands and you would like to be a part of this book.
0: I'm thinking nineteen nineties too. Nineteen nineties. Oh yeah, very, 90s really for sure. Off.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. Two thousands, I mean
0: that's I mean, that's that's kind of that's kind of late to the scene, honestly.
1: That's fair. I mean, I was around in ninety eight at least. So right. at least knowing you guys' name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so last question. Yes. Um, last time I asked you this question, you said you would spend a million imaginary dollars making armour more accessible for oh, self martial I arts practitioners. I about it. Would you still spend the money the same way? You don't have to have thought about it. You can just be off the cuff if you like. Would you, would you still spend the money the same way or would you do something else?
1: Oh, man. I mean, that's still the simplest way to spend money that I think it could do the most good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because it is still a huge problem. Oh, that's so tough, guy. I wasn't ready. I, know, I should I have thought
0: about it. I should have known. <laughs> well, or, 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 or you may have, you may have assumed that I had a bit more imagination and would ask different questions every time.
1: No,
0: uh <laughs> I mean maybe. Maybe. Wasn't it's sure. go. Hang on. But it's a perfectly fair fair response to say, well, actually, given that I didn't get the million dollars, so I couldn't spend it fixing that problem, I still think that is the main problem.
1: It still is it still is a huge problem. Okay. Yeah. Alright. And okay, so what I would layer onto that is okay. I would develop a line of affordable long swords that are incredibly flexy and that the blades are cheap and easily replaceable like a foil so that people could fence with something that hits gently like a foil-ish, ish. Something so along we don't, that line.
0: we don't have anything like that at the moment, really, do we?
1: We don't. I just got a custom set of arms and armors in, made to my uh, specs. I know. I,
0: I played with them. They're very nice.
1: And they thrust so gently.
0: Yeah. Um, but they, still, they still have decent presence in the blade and, you know, they cut properly, but they also thrust with the flex that you would want.
1: With the flex yeah. that you would want.
0: But the way that the way they accomplished that was by carefully hand grinding the blades.
1: That's exactly right. It is not a cheap or easily achievable, replicatable process
0: yet. Except they do it with fencing foils, épée blades, sport fencing saber blades. I think the problem is scale.
1: Exactly. You would need an influx of money to create yeah. the me- like, the mechanical process that would happen in a shop to make it easily and cheaply repeatable. Yeah. Uh, and that would take money. So I could also apply the money towards that.
0: Yeah, okay. So <laughs> so making basically making a, a longsword fencing blade that actually works as well as the beautiful handmade ones but is mass produced.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: And you could have it in a couple of different lengths, perhaps, and with a couple of different hilts that you could interchange with it. Yep.
1: And then we could start to treat both masks and blades as, uh, as, as consumables that are expected to be replaced.
0: Which they are. Which they are,
1: but but currently, they're so expensive that people think of them as items that should be, um, you know, legacy items. That I should have this sword to hand on to my grandchildren, even though I fence with it for 50 hours yeah. a week every week, you know? And, and so that
0: has. <laughs> who do you know who fences 50 hours a week? Nobody. Every week? <laughs> I, I was being generous. I was being generous. Yeah. But, Although, actually, but my, my Terry Tyndall mask is still going strong after god must be 15 years now it is yeah it is. And it's, but my sport fencing mask that i use for rapier and stuff that's that gets replaced every i should replace it more often than i do but i want to say every four or five years yeah something like that yeah
1: and i mean like uh, if you are long sorting mm-hmm. in a fencing mask
0: you're an idiot sorry but then no one should do that. Not, 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 not high intent, in a high-intensity situation. Friendly stuff in a sal, fine. Yes. But in a, any kind of competitive environment, it is an inadequate tool for protecting your face and head. It's not designed it for it. They're shit, and I can't abide it. So, sorry. I'd have to throw that in there.
1: That's fine. Given that, if you are that person doing that thing, you should replace it every six months. Yeah. Period. Because uh, I, I don't know if you've ever taken a fencing mask inside a HEMA overlay, put it on some sort of bob, like some sort of training, and hit it.
0: Do it that. It falls apart. Yeah. It
1: falls apart.
0: Um, okay. We, in my salon in Helsinki, we have the mask that we did that with. And when beginners are putting on a fencing mask for the first time, I show them this utterly destroyed mask and I say, this is what happens to a modern fencing mask when it's hit with medieval weaponry. And there are like gashes torn in the thing because we used a axe, and we used a dagger and we used a sword and whatever. And it is toast. You couldn't even get your head in it because it's crushed. Right. Right. Do not confuse a mask with armor. It is not the same thing. You just wear it so that your partner can touch your head without it becoming annoying. Right. right, right. It's like right. yes. So yes, absolutely. People should try that for themselves. If um,
1: yeah, I mean, also, I strongly like, recommend. Uh, and if any... you look,
0: if you look at a, if you look an F, at an FIE regulation mask, they all have the date of manufacture stamped on the um, headpiece, the the, the mm-hmm. clip that goes on the back of the head, because you need to know when it was made so you know when to replace it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I forget what the rules are for FAA because it's been such a long time since I went to a fencing tournament and they've probably changed since anyway, but I mean, there are rules about how old your equipment is allowed to be.
1: Yes. As well as they have um, uh, punches to test uh, whether or not it fails in that way. Um, Yeah. There's some complexity that it failing in that way isn't necessarily relevant to what's happening to it with a longsword. I would say so, yeah. Uh, But the point is, it's a consumable, friends. Yeah. yeah. So don't spend $150 getting a specialty uh, paint job on a thing you should be throwing away in six months. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> although, although, okay, for gentle, friendly play in the saddle, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. If it's but not taking... Actual, yeah, for actual competitive use, yeah, you want to be changing it. I mean... If you go to one tournament every six months, you maybe don't need to change it that often. Um, but I would say also one, one blow that significantly deforms the mesh and that's it. The mask is no longer useful. Um, actually, yeah. that happened to me once um, before the Terry Tindall mask was invented or at least yeah. before it was available anywhere. Uh, I was demonstrating um, at a seminar in Sweden, I think it was. And I was free fencing with one of my students and I, mm. I came and attacked with the fendente, and he he was in dente Jigaro And instead of parrying, he stepped off the line and stabbed me in the face. Beautiful shot. It. Beautiful yeah, yeah. Shot. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, but it was a bit hard. And again, this is like 2005 or something. So the equipment wasn't that bendy, and you know, I mean, I don't think we had rubber tips on our long swords then either. And it crushed the mask sufficiently that it actually cut um, above my top lip. Yep. Right. And so I an oh, excellent shot, well done. And then I showed the mask to the students and I said, Now, this mask is rubbish and I dropped it on the floor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's rubbish. Once that's happened to the mask, it is no longer fit for purpose. Not that, that it's is exactly fit for right. purpose for longsword anyway. Um, yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, yep. so
0: you would you would spend that million dollars on on Let's say, let say a second million dollars. You've got the million dollars for the armor, which you still haven't received yet. So <clears throat> no wonder you haven't, you haven't actually solved that problem. But yeah, developing sort of not foil blades, but no, but but, but. longsword blades that work well in the thrust, but are mass produced at a level where they are considered a disposable.
1: Yes, yes,
0: excellent. That's a good, that's a good choice of. Okay, if I had the money I'd give it to you.
1: I think we need that. Yeah.
0: I think you may be right. Brilliant. <laughs> well, okay. Before 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 we wrap up, I do have one one question. Alright. Because like let's let's be completely transparent about this. The reason that we're doing an Abrazzare themed interview with you today is because we're in the middle of the launch for the Abrazzare course. Right? Heck yeah. Um, this is this is how marketing works. Um but what was the most fun thing about shooting the Abrazzari course?
1: <gasps> oh, man. It was wicked fun. Um, you know what stands out to me, Guy, Tell is me. doing your flow drill, which oh, okay. is is a step out. Outside of what's canonically in the book, uh, admittedly so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's and, not, and it's, you do elaborate on that.
0: Yeah, it, it's a training exercise. It's, it's not one of Fury's actions. It's a training exercise. It, we call it the unarmed flow drill.
1: Yes. Okay. But that training exercise, like, that's what comes to mind when I think about, like, what are my memories of what we did? That mm-hmm. comes forefront um, before everything else. We did all sorts of fun things. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but that one appears. and I think I think in part because um while flow drills are once you have them memorized and once you understand where they're going, you can kind of escape your own mm-hmm. present conscious of consciousness of it. and that's like yeah. the beauty of them. But then, for me, it was all so new that I had to stay hyper present mm-hmm. to even be able to do it for you. <laughs> 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 and, and so maybe that's why it's so indelibly burned in my mind as a thing we did,
0: but it really is. Okay. Well, good, excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad you it. I invented that thing probably 20 years ago and it's yeah. it's been a useful, a useful thing I said. I tell you what, I will put the video from the course of the unarmed flow drill into the show notes so that people can see what we're talking about. Excellent, yeah. that's wonderful. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Jessica. It's been lovely seeing you again, as always.
1: Thank you, Guy. (laughs) What what do we do? Oh, we know what we're doing next. Never mind. I was going to (laughs) say, what are we going to talk about next? We've already decided first quarter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jessica. You can find the episode show notes at swordschool.com forward slash podcast where you'll find transcriptions, photos, videos, and links for this, for this episode. While you are there, you can sign up for my mailing list, and I'll send you a free copy of my Sword Person's Care Package. This includes 4 ebooks and access to several of my online courses. And remember, go to swordpeople.com to join the only troll-free online community for Sword People. And if wrestling is your jam, go to guywinsornet forward slash abrazare23, that's A-B-R-A-Z-A-R-E-2-3, to get 50% off the new course with Jessica Finley. Yay! As always, I would like to thank the people who make the show possible, my patrons on Patreon. It takes a lot of time and quite a bit of money to run a podcast, and without them, I would have quit long ago. You can join us at patreon.com forward slash the sword guy for behind the scenes content to suggest future guests and priority access to my inbox. Yes, when a patron sends me a message, I scurry to answer it because these are my people. (laughs) So that's patreon.com forward slash the sword guy. I'd also like to thank Andrew Lawrence King for the Baroque harp accents that adorn the show originally recorded for my Paradoxes of Defense audiobook project. You can find that at swordschool.shop, of course. Join us next time when I really will be talking to Jack Gassman, who runs Horseman of Air and Equestrian Training School and a Medieval Combat Academy outside of Wexford in Ireland with Alessia Pagani. Alessia does the natural horsemanship side of things and Jack takes care of the swords. I interviewed them both in episode 124 of the show and Jack has now invented and published a game that is very on topic for us. So he's coming back on the show to talk about it. The game is called Force of Virtue. And yes, those are Fiori and Virtues we're talking about. So make sure you don't miss it. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, please do rate the show. And if you have an extra minute, leave a review. It really helps. Thanks for listening and I will see you soon you.